0: Before we get to this week's episode, we've got a few things to take care of. First, we want to let you know that our audio course is finally out on Himalaya learning. The Wildlife of Your Home pod course is a 10-episode series that will train you to become an indoor wildlife investigator, a rare kind of scientist. You'll learn about ecosystems by discovering the unknown creatures you wake up with every day. It's available right now on learning.himalaya.com tumble. If you enroll now, you'll get a free 14-day trial on the Himalaya Learning platform. And next, we got some new patrons to thank. Roland, Bridger, happy belated birthday on August 2nd, Bridger. Your dad loves you and loves all the adventures you go on. Isaac and Aurora Lang, Ian Skinner, Aaron, Holly, and Charlotte. And Charlotte, happy birthday on August 15th. Keep learning and asking questions. Your mommy loves you. And also Cleo Chan Testa, Keep Learning and Shining, and happy birthday on August 21st. There are also some more not new patrons with birthdays coming up. Persephone Schmitter, happy birthday on August 14th. Leo Liked Gould, happy birthday on August 15th. Your parents love you and are so grateful for you. Catherine, happy birthday on August 16th. Emma Kay, happy birthday on August 21st. Mom and Dad are always so proud of you. Julian Boutel happy birthday on August 21st. Thanks to all of you and to everyone who supports Tumble on Patreon. If you'd like to get a shout out like these people or get a happy birthday wish from yours truly on our podcast, just go to patreon.com/tumblepodcast and pledge at the $5 level or higher. Once again, that's patreon.com/tumblepodcast.
1: Welcome back to Tumble season 3. Things have changed a bit for Tumble over the summer. We're still bringing you great stories of science discovery. That's always going to be the same.
0: (laughs) But we've moved. All the way from Austin, Texas,
1: across the Atlantic to Barcelona, Spain. We will be here all year. When we make it to 100 patrons, we'll take all of our patrons on a trip on our family's adventure abroad.
0: You'll vote on where we'll visit. We could explore incredible architecture, beautiful beaches, incredible mountains, delicious food, or unbelievable history. It's up to you. Then we'll document our journey on Patreon. We're so excited to be here in Europe, and we can't wait to share it with all of you.
1: A lot of you are already signed up to come along on our trip. Here are our new patrons who joined us over the break.
0: Josie Alexander, who is six years old. Carrie and Jeffrey Hobson. Kestrel Bartley, Jesse Borer-Clancy, the Crowley family, George Bird, Neil E. Martin, and Tanya Longmire.
1: You can join these awesome people by signing up at patreon.com slash tumblepodcast. You can give just a dollar and that's great. You'll also get our regular rewards, like our ad-free podcast, a shout-out on the show, or even a Tumble t-shirt. Plus, you'll be the first people we ask when we need special recordings for episodes, which we plan to do a lot more of this season.
0: Now, on to the show.
1: Hi, I'm Lindsay.
0: And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery.
1: Today, we're asking how human memory works.
0: How is it that we can remember
1: tiny details from years past for our entire lives? We'll talk to a scientist who's searching for the answer within a tiny molecule. How does our brain remember things? Our listener, Fiona, wants to know how we remember. I remember saying I just don't know how.
0: It's an amazing question. Like, maybe if you knew how, you could, like, design your brain to be better. <laughs> Build in maybe, like, a few extra, like, memory chips, upgrade the RAM.
1: Well, Fiona's older brother, Liam, was also fascinated by her question. Before we were able to get to the question, he tried to answer it for her in a podcast recording he made for school.
0: Scientists are working on how we remember things, so we don't have the full answer. What we do have is parts of the answer. Liam is a natural science podcaster.
1: I know, it took us decades to work up to this, and I think Liam's in fourth grade. (laughs) So we're gonna hear more from his podcast later, but we found a scientist to help answer Fiona's question.
2: So the first thing I have to say, Fiona, that is a very, very deep and difficult question to answer. And no one really knows the answer.
1: That's Andre Fenton. He's a neurobiologist, which means he studies the biology of the brain. It's his job to find out how our minds work.
2: So the first thing you have to realize is that memories are a record of your experience. It means that your brain first has to have the experience, and a record of that experience is stored in the brain, and that's what we call memory, the record of the experience.
0: Uh, That makes sense. You have to have something to remember before you can make a memory. But what is a memory,
1: anyway? Here's how Liam answered that question. Storing a
0: memory involves chemical changes in the nerve cells of the brain, or in the substances that carried messages across the tiny gaps between the nerve cells. These gaps are called synapses.
1: That's basically what Andre told me too.
2: A human brain has something like 80 to 100 uh, billion neurons.
0: Well, that's a lot of neurons, or as Liam called them, nerve cells.
2: Each neuron makes connections to other neurons at things called synapses. And each neuron, on average, connects to something like 10,000 other neurons.
1: Neurons kind of look like trees with a thin trunk and branches sticking out all over. And they connect with each other in a thick forest of chemical intersections called synapses.
2: There happen to be something like a quadrillion. That's a very, very large number of these
1: Synapses. When you have an experience, a pattern of electrical activity lights up your neurons.
0: So something that actually happens to you breaks down into electrical impulses in the brain?
1: Exactly. Our memory is created by neurons connecting through synapses.
0: When those neurons become
2: active together, the junction or the synapse between those neurons get stronger or weaker in a pattern, and that's the memory.
1: There's a lot to learn about how the human memory works, but Andre wants to know just one thing. How the
2: memory persists.
0: What does that mean? Does that mean like it won't stop asking for cookies?
1: (laughs) It means when we're 70 years old, how do we still remember something that happened to us when we were five? Where's that memory stored, and how? That's the crazy thing, right?
2: For us to store memories, we have to make a physical record somehow, but it's not like a record player or a piece of paper, but the belief is that there's something physically that must happen. And so we've been working on trying to understand and discover what that physical thing is.
0: Wow. So he's looking for what physically makes a memory, but how do you find that? Where could that be?
1: That's where the scientific process comes in. It's like a roadmap for science. Andre described it like setting off on a journey.
2: Early on in the journey, what we had to do was uh,
1: pick something
2: that we could study that looked like it could be a memory. So we had to start with a theory.
1: In the 1950s, scientists came up with a theory that when neurons connect, something happens that makes it more likely that they'll become active together again. That activity is what lets us hold on to our experiences.
2: And so that seemed to be the natural place to start.
1: Scientists zeroed in on the hippocampus.
0: And that's the part of the brain that's most important for memory, so don't lose it.
1: (laughs) And it's hip, I mean, (laughs) it's just really cool. (laughs) It's also the part of the brain that's most important for memory in rats. And that's why scientists study the mechanics of the brain using rats as a model for humans.
2: So we studied how hippocampus um, changed after you caused hippocampal neurons to become active together.
1: What they found was a set of mysterious molecules. No one knew which role each one played. They were just kind of hanging out there. Neuroscientists each claimed their own molecule to study.
2: And so in some sense, every experimenter has championed, which means they are promoting their molecule as the crucial molecule or as an important molecule in the process of memory.
1: Andre paired up with a biochemist named Todd Sachter, who had chosen a molecule called PKM-zeta.
0: That's a great name. Band name. Call it.
1: We're (laughs) PKM-zeta.
0: It's like a synth pop.
1: (laughs) You think that's what they would play?
0: (laughs) (laughs) PKM-zeta. Yeah. Definitely.
1: (laughs) Andre and the scientist he was collaborating with had their reasons to think that PKM zeta is important to forming memories. But to prove it, they had to show that without it, you can't make memories.
2: That's the first thing that we did because it seemed easy. The easiest thing to do, which is to erase a memory.
0: It's easy to erase a memory. Like, can they pick a specific one? Like that time I farted in Spanish class in seventh grade. (laughs)
2: We could actually design another molecule, a chemical, a drug in fact, that would specifically interfere with PKM zeta in a very particular way, so that it couldn't do its normal job.
1: They set up an experiment where the rat was placed on a circular disc. Part of the disc was electrified and gave the rats a small shock. All the rats learned quickly to avoid it.
0: Kind of like I learned to avoid that electrified bathroom we have. <laughs> it only took me five or six times.
1: <laughs> now you, you never go there.
0: <laughs> and, and Nobody goes there. <laughs> Why do we even have that?
1: <laughs> mm, came with the house. <laughs> Anyhow, they gave a group of the rats the PKM-Zeta blocking drug. So if PKM-Zeta was important, the rats who had taken the drug would not remember that that part of the disc was to be avoided.
2: And that's what we observed.
0: That's crazy! So just blocking this one molecule and the rat's entire memory of the experience disappeared?
1: Yep. The rats had no idea what happened, but Andre was pretty excited. Yes, it
2: was extremely exciting because I didn't think it would work.
0: Problem solved. They found the thing. That's what they were looking for. They found the magic memory molecule.
1: Well, here's the thing. Even though every time Andre ran the experiment, the rats lost their memories, he couldn't be sure that PKM-zeta was the reason why.
2: Well, maybe all this molecule does is give the rat a headache, or maybe it makes the rat feel sick. And so we had to, over years, do other experiments to prove to ourselves that there weren't these dumb, uninteresting explanations for why the rats lost their memory.
1: It took three years of experiments to convince themselves that they were right. That's
2: sort of one of the, I think, wonderful things about science and also one of the terrible things about science. There really are very few moments when you say, Oh, I know I have the answer.
0: So there's no, like, screaming, Eureka! I've got it! in the lab.
1: No. When Andre and his collaborator finally shared the results... Reporters called it a breakthrough.
0: But they'd really been at it for years.
1: Yeah, and a lot of scientists disagreed with what they discovered. So Andre heard a lot of this.
2: You know, you must have done something wrong because it couldn't possibly be that way. But that's actually normal in the scientific process. Almost no one ever is able to discover something that is universally recognized as a discovery
1: That's because a big part of the scientific process is to have other scientists review and critique your work.
0: Scientists have to see a lot of really good evidence over a very long period of time to accept any new discovery.
2: That's why scientific facts or scientific knowledge tends to be very high quality knowledge.
0: So people didn't just accept PKM-zeta as the magical mystery molecule right away, though that would be their first album.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, it wasn't accepted by a long shot. Almost immediately, other scientists began doing their own experiments on PKM-zeta. A lot of them copied Andre and his collaborators' experiment and got the same results. But others did things differently
2: they said, let's use a different drug or a completely different approach.
1: One group of scientists bred a mouse that could not make PKM Zeta.
0: So it shouldn't ever have a memory?
1: Right. And what they found? Well, let's just say it didn't look good for PKM Zeta.
2: That mouse could learn and remember. And it looked like it could learn and remember very well, in fact,
1: normally.
0: Wait, what? They were
1: wrong? You can be completely missing PKM zeta in your brain and still have a functioning memory.
0: So, what then? Did Andre just give up?
1: No. Because now he had an even more exciting mystery to solve. How could both experiments be right? Could PKM zeta be both crucial to making memories and also not necessary.
2: Those two things seem illogical to be both true.
0: Yeah, right, that makes literally no sense.
1: (laughs) Well, Andre and his collaborator had to think creatively. Maybe if Pkm zeta is missing, another molecule steps up and fills in.
2: And in fact, that's what we ended up doing experiments to find out that there's in some sense a backup
0: mechanism. Oh, so it's like, it's kind of like an understudy. Like, hey, I know all the lines. I can be Hamlet.
1: <laughs> Basically, Andre and his collaborators started studying the mice that couldn't make PKM zeta. They found that these mice had much higher levels of another molecule called iota. When they developed a drug to block iota, voila! These mice couldn't remember either. (laughs) Just a bunch of confused mice (laughs) running around.
0: I mean, yay, science. (laughs) Sorry, mice.
2: (laughs) And when the primary mechanism, PKM zeta, is unavailable, this secondary mechanism seems to work. And so that's what we were able to discover.
0: Wow, so if those other meddling scientists hadn't proved them wrong the first time, they wouldn't have discovered what was really going
1: on. Yeah, so everyone hates to be wrong, even Andre, but in the grand scheme of science, it's necessary, it's even helpful.
0: You know, what I like about science is that it's not based on people just saying, I think this is right and this is wrong. It's based on evidence and it changes as the evidence changes.
1: Yeah, I like that about science too. And scientists are always finding more evidence to revise and refine their understanding of the truth.
2: Science is actually a way of looking at the world, a way of organizing information, and ultimately a way of making arguments about what we know and what we don't know that are strongly based on physical, measured evidence, not just opinion, not just authority.
0: So is that it? Like we answered Fiona's question. This is how we remember things. It's PKM Zeta, end of story, period.
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) It's, it's just a piece of the puzzle. As Liam says, we still have a long way to go to find the full answer. What we know now is that a molecule called pKM-zeta plays a role in memory formation and that it has a backup.
2: That really doesn't tell you how the memories are even organized and how they're stored. We don't know how much PKM Zeta is made. We don't know where it goes. We don't know how long it lasts there. We don't know what it's doing there.
0: Oh man,
1: that's a lot of work to do. Definitely, but it's worth it. We'll be able to
2: understand the brain better. And if we can understand the brain better, we'll be able to understand all brain functions and dysfunctions in a fundamental way, in a better way.
1: Marshall, has there ever been a time when you thought you had something right and then it turned out you were wrong? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, think.
0: (laughs) Okay, I mean, literally every day that happens. (laughs) At least once. (laughs) We want to hear from you. Was there ever a time that somebody proved you wrong and you actually learned something from it? Before or after you got upset. (laughs) Maybe a fact of science that you thought you knew, but
1: didn't have quite right. Send us a letter, a drawing, or even a recording to tumblepodcast at gmail.com. We want to find out. Thanks to Andre Fenton Professor of Neuroscience at the Center for Neuroscience at New York University.
0: An extra special thanks to Fiona and Liam, who should really start their own podcast.
1: Don't forget to be the first to sign up on our Patreon pledge drive. Help us make it to 100. We're not far away, but we need your help. Go to patreon.com tumblepodcast when you're finished listening to pledge whatever you can. Thank you so much for your support.
0: Sarah Lentz is our associate producer.
1: I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. And I'm Marshall Escamilla,
0: and I make all this wonderful music. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned next time for more stories of science discovery.